You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to Andy Staples on three. We think the coaching carousel's over. We think. We'll talk about that. In a little bit with our friend Pete Nakos of On3. But first, let's talk about something that happened last night. On Monday night, on Big Monday in college basketball, we've all been Bill Self. Every one of us has been Bill Self on Monday night. His team was playing a, a road Big Monday game for the second consecutive week after playing a really good opponent the previous Saturday at home. Easiest thing in the world to predict they were going to lose. You knew they were going to probably be a little flat. Their leading scorer is out. And it was exactly as you would have thought. Texas Tech was destroying Kansas. It was a 16-point game late in the second half. Hunter Dickinson picks up a foul, kind of banging underneath. It was away from the ball. Bill Self's just like, he's had it. And very quickly gets himself ejected. For the first time since 1999 when he was the coach at Tulsa, and they were playing a game at Wyoming, so they were at altitude. So maybe he had altitude sickness at that point. But another 25 years pass, and he finally gets ejected again. And it was one of those, I just don't want to be here anymore kind of things. And he said he didn't cuss. And he said he said a magic word a couple of times. So I now I want to know what the magic word was, because... We all have seen Bull Durham. Well, us old people have seen Bull Durham. So we know what that magic word is, but I think that's a cuss word. So what what would the magic word be that Bill Self said? Because he, he clearly was getting himself tossed. It was kind of like you see with the baseball managers and the umpires who make the deal before the game about, hey, if, if we get something controversial, I'm going to come out. I'll kick some dirt on your shoes. Can you please just toss me? That was Bill Self. Like, he's just got this grin as he's walking off the court. The Texas Tech mascot, you know, giant, fluffy, Yosemite Sam-looking dude is just waving him goodbye. It's not a Texas Tech football game, so he's not getting tortillas thrown at him, but it, it, that's what would have happened in a football game. We've all been there. How many of us have not been at work one day when we knew it just wasn't going to go our way? Like, when we woke up that morning, we knew it was going to go badly. And said, you know what? If I can just dip out of here, get myself thrown out, because it looks like I showed up and I tried, but then I got to go. I'm going to do it. That was Bill Self. So, Bill, we, we've all been you. We feel your pain. 25 years between ejections is, is pretty good. But it's, it's been one of those years of the Big 12. Like Scott Drew, the Baylor coach. First career ejection. Like he's been coaching a long time. His first career ejection was earlier this month. So it's uh it's getting that time of the year. It's it's February. Road games in conference. Some days are just not going to be your day. And and that's that's where Bill Self was at. But yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get a little more college hoops, get, get some bracketology going. We we're actually talking to Nick Delatori later in the show from Gators Online. We're talking about a lot of Florida football, but we'll, we'll throw a little Florida basketball in there too because uh, we do need to brighten the brighten the news 
for the Gator fans, just a, just a tad. But in other news, the coaching carousel, we think, has come to a stop because UCLA has replaced Chip Kelly. Deshaun Foster, your new coach at UCLA. Now, Deshaun Foster was on Chip Kelly's staff the last few years. He is a obviously former Bruins great. He's been the running backs coach, and he was one of several former Bruins that was was discussed. Uh, Tony White from Nebraska was another one. But this is a, a situation where you can kind of continue with most of the existing staff. You don't have to fire those guys. And oh, by the way, if you look at UCLA's recent coaching news, you see like three assistants just got new titles, like Tim Drevno, Jerry Neuheisel. They, they got new titles, which means they just got extensions and raises. So if the idea for Martin Jarman, the, the UCLA athletic director, was kind of keep this staff together, don't pay a bunch of buyouts, Deshaun Foster is the way to go. I'm very interested to see the contract for Deshaun Foster, because I wonder if it is something close to what Zach Arnett got at Mississippi State. Remember, we were telling you during the season last year with Zach Arnett, like this contract is not exactly ironclad on Zach Arnett's side. Like if they want to make a change, they can make a change. And so I want to see what Deshaun Foster's contract looks like because he didn't have a ton of leverage. But here is Deshaun Foster getting introduced to the team by Martin Jarman. We want somebody that wants to be a Bruin. Well, we didn't get somebody that wants to be a Bruin. We got a Bruin. Come on out, coach. Your new head coach. As a happy bunch of Bruins, they were excited to see Deshaun Foster named their head coach. And, you know, that's one of those things with the transfer portal window now open for 30 days after Chip Kelly left. You do want to make sure that the, the existing roster wants to stay. We join now by a guy who knows all about the transfer portal. He is on three's transfer portal guru, Pete Nakos. Pete, I have not seen any UCLA Nacosifications in the last there 24 hours. There haven't been. There haven't been. No no UCLA players have gone in the transfer portal since uh, Friday. It's been a very quiet weekend leading into yeah. Monday and Tuesday. Yeah. So, all right. Let, let's see if I can get this right. I, I'm, I'm testing myself here. The transfer portal windows that remain open are Michigan, mm -hmm. Boston College, and UCLA, right? Correct. Yes. And then there's like, I think San Jose State and a couple other small. Like oh, Buffalo, that's right. San Jose South State Alabama. Went yeah. to, went Those are Arizona's in the next few days. Yeah. And Alabama's famously closed on Saturday, right as Ryan Grubb was being broken to, uh, to the Seattle Seahawks. So, yes. Uh, funny how that works. Yep. <laughs> Timely. Do we? Do we think this carousel is done? I, I mean, because this feels like the last change for football or football adjacent reasons. Like now, if somebody gets fired, it's because they knocked over a liquor store or something, right? Yeah, I I guess the one thing like the wild card year, Andy, and and I'm not saying that this is going to happen, but does Kalen DeBoer make a move somewhere to Ryan Day, 
taking a sitting head coach to be his offensive coordinator. Um, oh, I, I know God, we I haven't. Think of, he's already hired two sitting head coaches. Right. Like, so, like, it, it, it's happened at Alabama already. I'm not saying that there's the perfect fit, but, uh, man, after the last 10, 12, whatever weeks it's been, I you kind of have to expect anything these days. It, it is. I, God, I, that did not even cross, and I should have because – he did hire Kane Womack as his defensive coordinator, who was the South Alabama head coach. Mo Linguist as a position coach, who was the Buffalo head coach. So you're right. The, and I didn't like when when the news came out about Grub. I didn't sense an immediate fit outside. You know, maybe they could pull up Nick Sheridan, but right. I, I didn't sense an immediate fit. But you're right. It, it may be a situation where another Sun Belt coach, mm-hmm. who's experienced recruiting the South fills into the staff as a position coach or as a coordinator. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely will call it a wild card, but I definitely think it's something that we have to evaluate moving forward, especially because like you mentioned, right. Kalen DeBoer has hired these uh, head coaches from uh, Buffalo and South Alabama and just something to really watch, I guess, moving forward here. Well, let me, let me ask you this, Pete, because this is a, a conversation I've had with agents over the last few years and, and their tone has certainly changed on this as mm. time has gone on. But would you take a Mac or a Sunbelt head coaching job if you were, let's, let's say you were a hot ACC coordinator. Hmm. Would you take a Mac or Sunbelt head coaching job or would you take an SEC position coach or coordinator job? Well, which one gets you to like a big time head coaching job faster? I say the SEC offense coordinator position job because I think that the climb to be good at that Mac or Sunbelt school is going to be much tougher and just, I don't know, from my vantage point, Andy, like, right, you look at it, I kind of feel like if you're at a Mac or a Sunbelt, the bar is you got to, like, kind of win a conference championship to, like, get that SEC or ACC or Big 12 job. Yeah, it, it does seem like the bar is higher. And then if you're pretty good as the coordinator in the in the SEC or the Big 10 or even at the higher level ACC yeah. schools, like, you, you're you're in the in the pipeline already. So, that that's so, and that's really like the last five years. But it's yeah. also because I, I mean, you probably get paid more as as an SEC coordinator now too. Yeah, I guess. And I, the other thing I'm evaluating right when I'm talking about that is like, do I really want to try to build a roster that's just going to get picked apart if we're good? Do I really want to like try to figure out how to raise money um, in I don't know Toledo or or at Central Michigan or something like that? Doesn't sound appealing to me one bit. Yeah, because you don't have to do it. It's interesting because those are the things you do have to do once you get to the big school and other skills you might want to have. But I don't know. I, at, at this point, I don't think there's enough evidence that those guys are doing well enough to say, don't do, don't hire the coordinator. Uh, the, the hiring from within, you know, you yeah. look at, at, and then, you know, Kirby Smart was a coordinator. Lincoln Riley was a coordinator. Right. Uh they're doing pretty well. Ryan Day was a coordinator. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's 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 very interesting. So I let's let's talk about this carousel. Cause I I was thinking about this. This goes so far, this goes back into the season. Yeah. Like when it really kicked off, there were there were a couple moves early. Obviously, the Mel Tucker thing w- was early, but that wasn't necessarily football related. But I, it felt like Jimbo Fisher getting fired was what yes. really kicked this into overdrive. That feels like five years ago. I would even say a decade. Like it has been <laughs> wild. But yes, no, I actually, before I hopped on the show this morning, I went through the carousel and like kind of made a list 
on my little mm. notepad be like, man, how far back? And I'm like, wow, like David Braun was like elevated as Northwestern head coach a long time ago. Like Jonathan Smith took that Michigan State job a long time ago. So, yeah, it's and, and then Nick Saban retiring sort of set off the second cycle of it. And that was a month ago, Andy. Right. And then Jim Harbaugh goes to the NFL. And all right. So let us let's let's think about this. What what was the most interesting search to you? Like what was the one that that obviously there was not a Tennessee following Butch Jones going into Jeremy Pruitt type search where people got fired mm. over it and all that. But well maybe. Mm. Okay. I think I know where you're going with this. I was thinking that I, I was going through this and I was like, oh yeah, Mark Stoops was almost the head coach at Texas AM. And uh man, that feels like a lifetime ago. It does. And that was a weird I was gonna mention that too because I, I think they I think they landed on the right guy in Mike Elko. That Mark Stoops thing was crazy. So let's 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 take everybody back through that because like that was going on. So the war the college football world that day was focusing on Ohio State and Michigan. Yeah. That was, you know, Sharon Moore is acting head coach. Jim Harbaugh is still suspended. Obviously, all of that going on with Ohio State and Michigan. Winner's gonna win the Big Ten East and, and go to the Big Ten championship game. And meanwhile, there is this AM coaching search going on. Mark Stoops, his his agent is in talks with Texas A&M, and it falls apart that Saturday while Mark Stoops is beating Louisville. Yeah, I mean, I I was thinking about it too, right? Like it's Thanksgiving weekend. Everyone's focused on like who wins that game. And then I remember really late, I think it was like Friday night or that Saturday night, right, Andy? Like news kind of breaks that like he was like so close and the board of trustees basically were like, to Ross Bajor, the the outgoing athletic director, like, hey, we're just we're not going to do this. Like, this is not going to happen at Texas A and M. Yeah, and that's what that's what seemed like happened is you had the the trustees looked at it and said to hire Mark Stoops, who gets paid a lot of money at Kentucky, where he's he's almost at nine million dollars a year at Kentucky. To hire him would require guaranteeing almost as much as they guaranteed Jimbo Fisher, yeah. and that's what they were trying to avoid, and right. so. The Elko thing made made a little more sense, and that's one of those that like you you can pull the ripcord if you have to. But I also don't know that like my thing with Elko and Stoops, mm. and this is this is the, the kind of maybe it's not fair to Stoops because with Elko we just don't have as much information. But yeah. I would say that Elko in his two years as the head coach at Duke seems more willing to let his offensive coordinator cook yes. than Mark Stoops has seemed in. He has been at Kentucky now for 12 seasons. Uh, he has never seemed willing to just let his offensive coordinator yeah. let it rip. I guess the other thing, too, that that I think about is, like, um, going back to the board of trustees, like, I think that there is a conversation there of, like, can we really sell a Mark Stoops hire to this fan base, right? Like, we just paid this much money to get rid of Jimbo Fisher, who was supposed to deliver the national title. They proclaimed it at the press conference, and then – Mark Stoops, like, and that's not a shot at Mark Stoops. What Mark Stoops has done at Kentucky has been extremely impressive. Um, but I just think that they were looking for more of that home run hire who who was really going to rally the fan base and get the donors going. And and I think the board of trustees said Mark Stoops is not that fit. Yeah, yeah. And the, and Elko so far has done everything and said right. everything right now. Obviously, you got to win games. But I, I do think that he came in with the right and, and probably an understanding having just been at the place 
of, of how to negotiate that. Let's so let's talk about the Alabama search because that was a case where Greg Byrne clearly knew who he was looking at. Uh, we don't yet know if if DeBoer was was the first guy, first, first, right. first, or if maybe they talked to Mike Norvell a little bit, but it sure looks like they had a pretty tight circle of who they wanted to to inquire about, and they had a coach within 44 hours. Yeah. Yeah. I, I Right. Dan Lanning comes up. Uh, Mike Norvell comes up. But then, I don't know, it kind of always feels like Caitlin DeBoer was the pick just because of how quickly it came together, and, and there wasn't like a lot of back and forth there. And um, Man, it's been a wild six, ten weeks, whatever it's been now for Caitlin DeBoer, right? You lose like Isaiah Bond in the first like 48 hours as – as your head coach. And then like a week later, Caleb Downs and Caden Proctor go in. And um, I think all eyes are going to be on him in the spring transfer portal window. I know he's done a really good job getting that commitment back from, from Ryan uh, Hollywood Williams and everything, but he he has to be aggressive in the transfer portal. Yeah. Alabama is going to be at the standard that everyone's been used to for the last decade. Well, and, and let's talk about that because You've mentioned this multiple times that you think the spring transfer portal window is going to be as wild as as the the previous one. And in last year it wasn't. And I think a lot of it is that SEC rule that says SEC players can't go to other SEC schools and play right away from the spring portal window. Right. But in this case you got you got Alabama shopping from the SEC. You got Auburn looking for a quarterback still. You've got Michigan in the Big 10 looking for a quarterback like there's not many places SEC players would want to go that are outside the SEC, but like Michigan would be one of those places. Yeah. And I think the thing that you have to like compare it to, right? Like, so two years ago, you had the Jordan Addison sweepstakes in the spring transfer mm-hmm. portal window. And then last year, like the, the, the coaching carousel this year is by far the longest and wildest one we may have ever seen. Um, which then leads to all this angst entering into the spring transfer portal window. And, and that, I mean, Alabama needs players. Michigan is surely going to lose players in the spring transfer portal window because the ac- academic calendar has not been friendly to the athletes the last like two weeks or whatever. Um, so I'm, I'm sure Sharon Moore is going to need some guys on top of getting a quarterback. Right. Um, and, and then like, there's some other ones I was like uh, r- rifling through as well. Like, I'm sure Deion Sanders is not done in the transfer portal. Um, I'm sure that USC still needs a couple wide receivers uh, because USC was really uh, hit hard in the portal in, in December. And then like Texas, Mike Elko, like he's done a fantastic job putting together a roster to see, try to um, get a couple other guys in the spring. Like I think there's a lot of programs who surely would like to get a couple more guys. And uh, the last time to do, it's going to be in the spring. So here's one. Because this is another place, I think, if, if you were an SEC player, you, you'd consider this place if they wanted you. But so far, we've not seen them be aggressive in the portal. Do you think Clemson will try to get anybody else in the spring portal? They did put some offers out, but it was not extensive in the last one. Right. I, I, I kind of feel like they should. I think the big question is, like, how aggressive does Dabo get? Um, that's the thing, though. That's the really fun thing with spring – portal window right like right now is the time when coaches do their national signing day press conferences and everything like that and people are really excited about the fall and then maybe that spring game doesn't go well right Andy like maybe player x or y just like looks terrible for like 10 practices and and the head coach is sitting with his gm in april and they're like man we need to hit the portal hard and and that's what we might have and and i expect that to happen and yeah 
you're right. I definitely think Clemson would be a, a school to watch. So you mentioned GM, like the the concept of a general manager, and we've had people who've held that title in college football going back probably 10 years. I, Austin Thomas, who's at LSU for like the ninth different time, I think was the first person <laughs> I can remember being called a general manager. Yeah. But now it, it really feels almost more like an NFL general manager. Like what, what are those guys doing right now? The, the, the recruiting staff people who are focused on the portal, like how are they handling the next few weeks as they get ready for this spring portal to open? Um, I think a, a few things. They're already starting to look at film because every everyone in that role will tell you that they don't have enough time to look at film during that two-week window. Uh, and then I think the really crucial thing is really evaluating the entire roster and those 85 scholarship spots um, these next few weeks and, and really picking apart who's going to leave, who's not going to leave. And I mean, this is just the easiest, easiest example, right? But like Ohio State has five quarterbacks right now. Like they're not going to be five quarterbacks in August. I can almost guarantee you that. So then what happens is, right, you're going to have some scholarships open. And then all of a sudden, Mark Pantone, who has that GM role, is going to be looking to like, okay, like, do we need another offensive lineman? Do we need, like scholarship positions will open? Um, so, yeah, I, th I, I think that's what a GM is doing at the moment. Yeah, they're, they're going to be very busy guys and, and, and acting more like their pro counterparts yes. than ever before. And so that's that brings me to this next discussion, because I, I do think we're going to see that position kind of meld with the NIL piece of it based on something that may happen later today. And that is you've got the state of Tennessee and the Commonwealth of Virginia versus the NCAA in a federal courthouse in Greenville, Tennessee. That yep. hearing gets going in about 39 minutes yes. uh, at Cl Judge Clifton Corker's courtroom. And so what can we expect in terms of legal fireworks here? Yeah, so I think the, the, the few things to watch is, right, this is a preliminary injunction hearing, right? It is not like the end-all, be-all hearing. So what you have here is Tennessee and Virginia arguing for this injunction that would – hold forth for the entire uh, lawsuit, right? And and what we're really going to be paying attention to is the irreparable harm, which it was not what um, the judge ruled on. That's the reason why the TRO was not granted. The uh, temporary Virginia. restraining order, yeah. Right, the temporary restraining order. So Josh Heupel put together a very passionate declaration um, this past weekend where he talked about how uh, athletes only have four or five years and they don't play professional sports and – they need to have access to all the NIL possible. And I think we'll hear a lot about that today. Um, I think I, the last thing I'd mention too, Andy is right. Like this hearing is today. The judge could take anywhere from one to two weeks to issue an order. Right. And, and it's interesting because he's already kind of telegraphed what it's going to be. So right. unless the NCAA has something it can pull out of the hat, which given what we've seen probably doesn't, he, he has said the NCAA is probably not going to win this case. So right. it, there is a chance that that he he gives the injunction, and I think if if he does that, if he grants the injunction, I don't think you see those rules come back. And this is this is the NCAA's NIL recruiting rules, essentially. Yeah, I mean, all of a sudden, if, if the injunction goes to pass, right, then you have Tennessee and Virginia can easily talk to athletes before they commit, and and that includes the transfer portal. I, I know a lot of focus has been on high school, but it also includes the transfer portal, and then. Um, I think the other thing you have to watch too, if this injunction is ordered, right, and, and they get that, I think a ton of states are going to join this lawsuit. 
Yeah, yeah. This is one of those that they kind of want to piggyback on that. And the the transfer portal one or the transfer rule one was interesting because there were seven states and the U.S. Department of Justice joining. Yeah. And I I thought with that one, the rules are actually somewhat reasonable that the NCAA was trying to defend, mm. and it didn't. The, their arguments just got shredded in court. Yeah. So that that that's going to be an interesting new world. So if if this injunction gets granted and, and the spring transfer portal window is when we'll kind of see it all happening, it does it just kind of bring into the the open what schools have been doing the entire time? Yeah, I mean, exactly. I think you put it exactly right. Like, obviously, the NCAA is investigating Tennessee for these NIL allegations, and obviously – Tennessee set the standard in the NIL era with its $8 million deal with Nico Imaleva. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, everything has been happening the last, like, two, three years in in the background. And, and if this comes to pass, then everything's going to be public. Um, and all of a sudden, right, like, uh, you had John Ruiz with Nigel Pack, like, two years ago, talk about, like, mm-hmm. his $800,000. Miami, he was at yeah, Kansas yeah. State to Miami basketball. Yeah, and, like, yep. people are like, oh, my God, and, like, that's going to be the norm guys. Like we're going to hear the contract numbers. It's going to be very public. Um, and from where I said, it's going to be quite fun. I, it will be interesting. And, and yeah, cause it's interesting how the NFL does it. Like they, the, the agent wants the, the full amount of the contract out but the team one only wants the guarantee out. So all of that information eventually comes out. And yeah. I, I imagine you're going to get the same thing here, but I think I was talking to somebody who, who runs a collective, recently and they were explaining that because they're trying not to violate the ncaa rules all of the stuff they're talking about is kind of verbal and mm-hmm. can you imagine so you you talk to so let's say that you're talking to a player and this is a high school player who commits yep. in july to sign in december who won't be on campus till january so you're not actually allowed to have the here it is in writing situation right. until january so you're talking about a six month gap where yeah. you've said, well, we think it'll be look that'll look like this when we give you the written version. Can you imagine all of the miscommunication, all of the misunderstandings, all of the angst that this causes on both sides? The funny thing too is right that like this is that's been going on now too, right? Like a lot of yeah. these deals right now are like a, a coach or a collective sitting down with a, a top recruit uh, before. Uh, they commit and they're like, hey, we're going to give you this much money, but we're not going to give it to you in a contract form until you get on campus. So um, I'm also also like what really jumps out to me and he's like, are we going to have agents trying to float numbers to like me or you to to make them public to to really start a bidding war for these athletes? Yes, 100 percent, because we're already we already have that. Yeah. And like I, I think a lot of the quarterback. Transfer market this past winter was some was a little bit of that there 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 were those numbers were getting out there and you know matt rule was actually the one who put the the biggest kind of firmest number out there yeah but he wasn't wrong i mean based on the people we talked to no he was spot on yeah so i i I do think we're going to see that and it's really going to be up to the coaches and and, well the, the people running collectives to separate the truth from the bs and not get right basically not get treated like an athletic director who gets destroyed by, by a coach's agent. That's yeah. historically in this industry, they're not great at figuring that stuff out. No, they're not. They're not. No. So, 
Yeah, I, I I do think the the folks running the collectives will have to be a little, a little more judicious, and there will have to be times when you tell when you tell a player or tell their representation, hey, look, we don't believe you. If you think if, if they're really offering you that, you're gonna you you feel free to go take that. Yeah, and then the other thing too, right? Like Tennessee, just the easiest example here is right. Like NIL is allowed in high school in Tennessee, so then mm -hmm. you have collectives in Tennessee actually signing contracts with high schoolers who are going to go to a state institution um, before they enroll because they're really just going to say like to the NCAA, come and get us. This And this is what Missouri can do right now right. based on the way their rules work. So yeah. that, yeah, I think, and it will, I think probably wind up getting those state laws more standardized Yep, because everybody's going to want to have, the same advantages and the, yeah. the least number of disadvantages. So yeah, going to be going to be a very interesting next few months after this ruling comes down, which should come down in a few weeks. Yeah. I guess the last thing I want to mention too, Andy is like, I know a lot of people have been like, this is not going to be the end all be all of the NC. And I understand that. Like, I'm not trying okay. to like, I don't think so either. This. I don't, I'm not trying to overhype this, but at the same time, right. This big 10 sec advisory group, like, I, in my personal opinion, things will get much more like sped up if if mm -hmm. this goes through because all of a sudden you're going to have a governing body that that really can't oversee nil. Yeah, it cha this changes the relationship and this forces them into something where you've got to figure out rules because you want rules like yeah. you do want structure, but you have to figure out something that that can stand up to a court challenge and totally. but. Uh, conundrum in the chat. Missouri and Tennessee are ahead of the curve. I would agree with that. I, I would also totally. add Kansas to that list. Uh, mm. Listen, Avery Johnson's at K-State in part because they did a really good job yeah. working within their state law to make sure they could keep that that really good in-state prospect at home. Yeah, And now you're going to get to see him start for them. Yeah, and then you have Texas and Oklahoma, too, that have the state laws where it's like the NCAA really can't come down with sanctions on institutions in that state yeah and oregon's talking about changing their rules for the yep. same for the same reason so we will see what happens but pete nakos thank you so much and uh we'll be talking about what happened in the hearing on tomorrow's show sounds like a plan thanks so much thanks pete get ready for the greatest roast of all time the roast of tom brady a netflix live event happening may 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, so we'll see what happens, but in the chat, Mike says, I'm finally happy with my Huskers coaching staff after a few years again. Go big red in the next years ahead. Woot woot. So this was Mike posted this when we were talking about all of the carousel stuff. And I do think, you know, if I were a Husker fan, I would have been a little concerned the last few days. Are are we gonna lose our defensive coordinator, Tony White, to UCLA? That didn't happen. So they're in really good shape right now. And we'll we'll see. Uh Sandman 23 Napier knows Kiffin is taking his job next year, right? I don't know that he knows that, but I don't know that Lane Kiffin is necessarily thinking outside of Ole Miss right now. I think he's he's got a pretty good team set up at Ole Miss. In fact, well, 
I think now's a good time to talk about our friends at FanDuel. So go to FanDuel.com slash Staples, get signed up. If you win a $5 bet, you get $150 in bonus bets. And this is the time to do it if you want to put in a little on your team's win total for the 2024 season. FanDuel dropped a ton of win totals on us last week. And so Ole Miss, for example, nine and a half wins. There's quite a few nine and a half win teams out there. Uh, Miami, nine and a half wins. So big expectations there from fan, the folks at FanDuel. And I am I am very interested to see how all of this comes together. We're going to talk to Nick Delatore from Gators Online in a few minutes about Florida's win total. It's five and a half. That's the same as last year, but the schedule's harder than last year. So, you know, Florida finished five and seven last year. So they, they were right on it. And so head to FanDuel, download that app, FanDuel.com slash Staples. Get yourself signed up. Take a look at some of these. Louisville, eight and a half. That's a, that's a bit. NC State, eight and a half. You know, it, it, I'm looking at all these and I'm going, guys, somebody's got to lose some of these games. Somebody has to lose. And I feel like everybody's pretty optimistic right now. The one that jumped out at me, though, in terms of not as optimistic on FanDuel was Oklahoma. Oklahoma, seven and a half wins in the first year going to the SEC. And, you know, Texas is going to the SEC. Their number is 10 and a half. They are tied with Georgia and Ohio State for the, the most in the country right now. That is a... That seven and a half is a crazy number to me because I feel like Oklahoma kind of got the ship righted. The the Brent Venables first year was not as good as it could have been, but they win 10 games last year. They they beat Texas in the Cotton Bowl. Yes, they're going to the SEC. Yes, it's going to be a little bit harder, but Oklahoma has been historically good. You know, you, you, the the John Blake era at the end of the 90s, really the only time historically that they've not been consistently very good. So I have a hard time buying that Oklahoma will not be good even in the SEC, even as it gets harder. And I think the, they've changed the roster to make it more of a fit for the SEC. Speaking of teams moving conferences, USC's number, seven and a half, also like Oklahoma. That one is intriguing as well because I think the benefit of the doubt for Lincoln Riley has melted quite a bit. I think going into last season with Caleb Williams coming back, we we're like, okay, if they can get the defense a little better, they're going to be fine. But the way last season unfolded, the way they fell apart down the stretch, I just don't think we're going to give Lincoln Riley the benefit of the doubt this year, especially because they go into a tougher conference. Now, Deshaun Foster, his first year in the Big Ten, he's got a five and a half total. So you, UCLA not under as much pressure there. But I do think Deshaun Foster is going to probably get a little shorter leash than most, most coaches, as we talked about earlier. Is, is that contract going to look a lot like Zach Arnett's contract looked at Mississippi State, where if you wanted to pull the ripcord early, you could? I, I'll be curious about that. One more 10 and a half win team. Oregon is a 10 and a half win. 
over under going into the 2024 season. So Oregon and Ohio State, those those are your your favorites in the Big Ten. Michigan's at nine and a half. Texas and Georgia, your favorites in the SEC at ten and a half. Alabama's at nine and a half. LSU's at nine and a half. But there's a lot of nine and a half, eight and a half floating out there. And I, I'm curious to see who can live up to that. Because like the Miami nine and a half is such an interesting number. That's not what I would have said. Yes, the ACC is not as strong as, as the SEC, the Big Ten. But Miami in the Mario Cristobal era has not shown itself to be one of those programs where they win all the games they're supposed to win. Like this would require them to win all the games they're supposed to win to, to go over nine and a half. So, or to get to, to, to even get to nine. So that is a, that is a wild one. And we're going to talk about the hurricanes and their first game, because our guy, Nick Dallatore from Gators online pointed to that game as one that, yeah, we're Florida, Miami season opener is, all angst all the time. The dynamics around that game are absolutely fascinating. So we're going to talk about that with Nick. We're going to talk about Florida losing his strength coach to Boston College. And can Florida go over five and a half? That is the number that FanDuel has placed on Florida for the 2024 season. So yeah, go to FanDuel.com slash Staples, sign up. You place a $5 bet. You get $150 in guaranteed bets if you win. Now. Let us talk Gators with Nick Delatore. Joined now by the great Nick Delatore of Gators Online. Nick did not rest on Super Bowl Sunday. He was not sitting around watching the game. He was breaking a story about Florida's strength coach, Craig Fitzgerald, recently hired, five weeks on the job, leaving to become the Boston College strength coach. It's a tough headline. It's if you click the link, which uh, which I hope you did, uh, and which, our bosses, which a lot of your you message did. boarders did not because the, no. they were jumping to conclusions before reading the story. Yeah, yeah. If you click the link, it makes a lot of sense, and it's kind of why I said before Mark Hockey was reassigned, I didn't think Billy Napier would reassign or fire Mark Hockey. Uh, strength coaches and head coaches are locked together i truly believe if urban meyer came back and coached the new mexico state lobos that mickey marati would leave ohio state and go coach with urban meyer at new mexico state like that's what head coaches and strength coaches do they're an integral to the head coach bill yeah. o'brien and fitz met in maryland uh when bill o'brien got the head coaching job at penn state he plucked fitz and brought him with mm -hmm. him when he left to go to houston he took fitz brought him with him so when bill o'brien goes to boston college the very first call he's going to make is going to be to Craig Fitzgerald. Unfortunately for Florida, uh, Craig was only on the job five weeks. And unfortunately for Florida, uh, Bill O'Brien wasn't at Alabama. Uh, and, and the headline right. now reads Boston college. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. It, it, Bill O'Brien getting a head coaching job was not something even Bill O'Brien thought was going to happen yeah. five weeks ago. And I think that, that changes the dynamics of everything, yeah. but it doesn't sting any less if you're if you're Florida and you're Billy Napier and you're going into what feels like a make or break season, and you right. thought you had a a really good accomplished strength coach, which is what Craig Fitzgerald is, 
and now you've got to you've got to figure it out on the fly. So what what are they doing for now? Yeah, so right now, uh, Florida starts their identity phase, which is, as Billy Napier called it, uh, the most mentally and physically grueling portion um, of their of their offseason. So you have Mark Hockey still on campus uh, in a role. He knows what's going on. Uh, but from what I've been told, it's going to be Tyler Miles, who's the director of player athletic development. Uh, he joined the team last year. He was a guy that the players even lobbied for um, to get the job before Craig Fitzgerald was hired. Um, and he will lead the team through this second phase of the offseason, what Billy Napier likes to call the identity phase. Um, and it remains to be seen. Does Florida just stick with the guys they have? Do they go and find somebody else? Um, that relationship dynamic of strength coaches and head coaches still remains. And, and now you're a month, less than a month away from spring football for a lot of these programs who, and, and as angry as Florida fans were at Craig Fitzgerald for leaving when he did, uh, it's going to be probably hard for Billy to find another guy to poach who is uh, yeah. qualified or worthy to be Florida's strength coach. I was going to say they're not. A, I can't. I can't think of a lot of free agents out there right now, yeah. or or guys that are in flux because of the NFL. So it is a it is a really tough time to have to hire somebody. And it, it sounds like they've got somebody who knows the players, the players like. So that 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 does make sense. Why you would just go there and then kind of kind of ride it out. But you know, for Billy Napier, it seems like yet another hit. And, and I haven't got a chance to talk to you on the show since this happened. So Billy Napier, uh, he had a press conference last week on signing day. You guys asked him a bunch of questions. He had a very interesting interview, I thought, with Sean Kelly, who was the, vo the voice of the Gators on Sean Kelly's podcast, where Sean asked some pretty pointed questions, which you're not expecting Sean, yeah. from the announcer. But like one of the questions he asked him was, please help me explain to the fans when I get asked, why there isn't an on-field special teams coordinator. And Billy answered that with basically uh, there are other really good programs that mm -hmm. do it this way. And uh, and so this is the way this is the way I've decided to do it. And then the other if question I could, was if about I could interject what Billy can't yeah. say is Sean, the NCAA is not sending people to watch uh, to make sure analysts aren't coaching on the sidelines. Correct. And and when they start doing that around this around the country we'll probably get an on-field guy. But until then, we feel good with an analyst there. Well, and I think what's going to happen more than likely is the coaches will threaten a yeah. class action lawsuit. The limits on the number of coaches will go away. And then you can just have an on-field special yes. teams coordinator along with whatever else you want to have. So that's that's probably the the more likely outcome. The, the question is, you know, how long that is till, till that happens. But the other question, obviously, that, that you guys asked multiple times and, and that Billy answered in that in that interview, the in-house interview, with an answer that I think, even though he didn't answer it directly, I think we know what he means. Yeah. It was, are you calling the plays this year? Mm -hmm. And I got the sense, yep. And he thinks the defense was more of the issue last year. Offense is actually doing what it needs to do. Well, if you take Billy Napier, I, and, I, and I've learning you know as you cover somebody uh, on the beat and, and you're, you interact with them a lot you kind of learn them i take billy napier at his word i think he's an honest man uh, so when he says we take 
stock and we do rigorous evaluations of our staff and of each other, of, uh, of ourselves after every year, I know that Billy Napier, who has been a head coach now six years, had never fired an assistant football coach. So when they took stock after 2023, shortly after the season, two defensive coaches were fired. The first coaches Billy Napier has fired as a head coach. Nobody on offense has made uh, or has been moved or changed. So that tells me Billy Napier thinks the, the problem was on defense. Uh, the mm-hmm. problem was that we weren't strong enough, got a new strength coach. The problem was, hey, we had some procedural issues on special teams that kept creeping up, got another guy for special teams. Clearly, the offense isn't the issue. And, and then I keep going back to the point. If Billy Napier believes his job is not on the line in 2024, then why make a change on offense? Furthermore, if he thinks his job is on the line, why would I give up play calling and let That's some a, other play caller yep. determine my fate and my future? That's it right there. And that's what, as people have asked me about this, that that's the explanation that makes the most sense is if you feel like you are in a hot seat situation, your job's on the line, why would you not do the thing that you've done your entire career? Why, why would you change and put it in the hands of somebody else instead of yourself, who you probably trust the most. And the other part of that, because there are situations where you might feel co- like, now Ryan Day's not on the hot seat, but clearly he feels very comfortable handing play calling to Chip Kelly, who taught him how to call plays. Right. The situation with Billy Napier is a little bit different, where if you are going to hire an offensive coordinator from the outside, that person is going to demand a a, sur- you know, a, a surcharge because you're in danger of getting fired. Mm-hmm. They're going to demand at least three years on a contract. So if you're Billy Napier or if you're you're the administration at Florida, that doesn't seem too appealing to you either. Mm-hmm. Because one, the best of the best aren't coming because they're worried they're going to get fired. And two, so you go, now you're into the middle of the pack and they're going to demand more money. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you could have gotten somebody – uh, depending on what the contract would have been, but maybe a young up and comer. I know, you know, uh, Willie Korn's name was thrown out, and Na- Marion's name uh, running through the rumor mill. Um, but then you're asking, well, you're also making wholesale changes in year three, right? Or are those, you those two offenses, to run by the way, way nothing different. like Billy Napier's offense. way different? Uh, yeah. it, it was kind of like Will Muschamp, who I think was saddled with Charlie Weiss because they wanted somebody with head coaching experience. And then you make a move to Brent Pease. And then it's like, hey, man, no one's running this pro style thing. You've got you've to figure out how to yep. do the spread. And you've already spent in. four years recruiting guys to run your pro style offense. Now, Kurt Roper gets here and goes, why are there 350-pound offensive linemen? We need 280, 260-pound offensive linemen. We need to spread out and run yeah. it around. And it, it was just, you know, you're, you're throwing uh, one tiny, you know, duck floaty to a passenger on the Titanic. Uh, it just wasn't going to happen. Yeah, one of the one of the great unanswered what-ifs in Florida football history is what if Will Muschamp had arrived with a more modern offensive philosophy right. and a different offensive coordinator? Because I, I think that tenure would have gone very differently had that mm-hmm. happened. But, you know, it's now now we are sitting here, I'm, I'm counting uh, three, three coaches on from Will Muschamp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're uh, soon to be on a full hand, <laughs> working yep. on a second hand. 
Um, yes. Now, Andy, there is another another scenario I think that could happen. Maybe Billy. I know that Russ Callaway got more um, responsibilities as last year went on. Maybe Billy wants to see how Russ does in the spring. Hey, when we go to team periods during the first two weeks, we're going to let Russ call plays during our team periods. He'll diagram those. When we go to our first scrimmage of spring, Russ is going to call offense ones versus ones. I'll call them twos versus twos and see how he does. If Billy Napier sat up there on Wednesday of national signing day and told us, yeah, I'm giving the play calling to Russ Calloway. And then you went through spring and it just didn't look right. Now you have to fire him. <laughs> you, you can't then take away play calling. So I, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to close the door and Billy Napier won't let Russ Calloway call plays or maybe even kind of a Brian Johnson, Dan Mullen mm-hmm. situation where uh, as much as I've said about Dan Mullen, Dan Mullen helped Brian Johnson get his job in the NFL. A quarterback, oh, yeah. Dan Mullen's quarterback coach was not getting uh, a job in the NFL. Dan Mullen's offensive coordinator for a good right. offense would. And that could be something that Billy would want to do with Russ Calloway. But if you say it on Wednesday, there's no putting that toothpaste back in the tube if you get through 15 spring practices and it doesn't look or feel right. Well, and, and it's interesting because I, I, I've seen the discourse around the the play calling and and I'm I'm with you in terms of Billy deciding he wants to keep calling the plays because this is do or die right now. But in terms of whether it was the defense, the the defense definitely needed to be improved. Yeah. But let's talk about the numbers for the offense. They were number forty seven in yards per play in the country, so kind of middle of the pack, six yards per play base, six point oh five, and number fifty nine. In scoring in twenty with twenty eight point four points because that's what it see it felt like when people were arguing oh no the offense is fine they were cherry picking games yeah. and you you can't cherry pick games like they all matter and they all mm-hmm. count just because you're like you, you're at Florida Georgia's on your schedule you got to find a way to score on them so it took me about like two weeks but going through when Billy Neighbor was first hired going through and watching uh, Louisiana film watching their games highlights full games. Um, I told Florida fans, I don't think you're going to like this offense. They they could be very, very good. The team could have very good records. This isn't going to excite you. And when I look at Michigan, I think Billy Napier would watch Michigan in the national championship or in the playoff and go, that's our offense. That's what we are. We just don't have the guys yet. And, and watching that game with the people on our message board, that's not ever going to excite Florida fans, especially – uh, Florida fans, my well, I think, age, I think winning will excite them. And, and the way, the way Michigan ran it, it was an explosive offense when it needed to be, and That's they could sad. just maul you up front, but there's will no you wait nine years to get to that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's no around. excuse. It, it, you can't in the transfer portal era say, I don't have yeah. my guys. Like yeah. it's your fault. You don't have your guys. Very so. True. That's the that's the problem that they run into. There, that doesn't become an excuse anymore. You can't say, "Well, this is a this is a five year process." No, not when we just watched Kalen DeBoer get Washington the national title game in year two. Like that that doesn't work in this era. So 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's talk about it. We, we're going through some win totals this week, Nick. Uh, FanDuel, our friends, dropped a bunch of them on us. So all the power conferences, the, the core four, we, we got the win totals for them. And Florida's is at five and a half. And as weird as that sounds, that makes me think Vegas thinks Florida's better than last year. Because Florida's schedule is harder, but this is the same win total as last year. Yeah, I think Florida's. I think this might be the best roster Florida has in terms of uh, talent and depth of talent. Um, but yeah, the schedule. Uh, I said it last year, and it rings true again. Uh, catch wins early because you're going to catch hands late. Like Georgia at Texas, you haven't beat LSU in I think three or four years. Ole Miss just spent uh, a bunch of money to try to take their run at it this year at Tennessee. Uh, Florida lost the last time they were up there. Um, and that first game, I, I think that you might as well call Florida versus Miami like the pink slip bowl because whatever the referendum base, bowl, yeah, whatever fan base loses that game will light the pitchforks and run to their head coach's house. That Florida Miami game to me, those two coaches were hired the same year, have kind of had the same uh middling to less than to worse than middling. Right. They, they, they're getting uh, some some highly touted high school mm-hmm. prospects. Like the roster looks like it's it is gradually improving in both cases, but the on-field results have not been satisfactory. And you're and exactly you're, right. If you're only think, selling recruiting, you're selling hope. And if you lose that game as Billy or Mario, good luck selling hope the next 11, mm-hmm. 12 weeks. Yeah, because I, I think the Miami fan base and the Florida fan base will go into that game going, well, if we can't beat them, who yeah. can we beat? Right. And that's that's where – now, but let's let's put that schedule back up again because – this is a fascinating schedule. First, well, before we even go any further, you've got Sanford, which <laughs> dropped a 50-burger on Florida yeah. in Dan Mullen's penultimate game as head coach. And I just wanted to say penultimate there. But <laughs> Sanford did score 50 its last time in the Swamp. Uh, but then the, the Texas A&M game in Gainesville is a fascinating one, too, because we have no idea what that roster is right. going to look like with Mike Elko coaching it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, same thing with Mississippi State. New staff there. Yeah. Um, Jeff Levy. UCF, U- UCF gets a, a quarterback who just beat Florida in the swamp last year with a coach <laughs> who won't have K.J. Jefferson throwing the ball 40 times. K.J. Jefferson will run the ball 25 times with Gus Malzahn, and, and that's going to be a handful. The, oh, the, a- actually, Nick, let me. Before, I'm going to stop you while you're talking about UCF. Cause, and we'll we'll talk we'll delve into this one further because I feel like it deserves its own segment at some point. What do you think UCF's win total is on FanDuel? Six and a half. Eight and a half. Eight and a half. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. I oh. called that up and I was like, are you I'm looking at my phone like, no, that can't be right. <laughs> That uh, that that might be including one of the Florida ones, but look at that. The UCF Gus, the powers of the Big 12. Early on, <laughs> that's right. Um, yeah. But that, it, it, if, if I look at it and I try to be objective, I I think Miami is better on the on the lines. I think Florida has a better quarterback, um, and, and who knows what Cam Ward will be with that offense. 
You should be. Well, we know Sanford. Graham Mertz is going to be pretty good. I, I, I think, think he should be like, I think Graham Mertz surprised some people last year. True. Um, I, I look at that, and you should beat Miami. You should beat Sanford. You should beat Texas A&M. Florida has been an absolute disaster away from the swamp, but I think you should beat a brand new Mississippi State coaching staff with 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 that roster. You should beat UCF at home. We're five and zero heading to to Knoxville here, uh, where you lost the last time you went, and and you haven't beat Kentucky since I don't I don't even know. We're, we're Kentucky. The thing, starting the, here, here's the thing, Nick. Three. This this schedule is so nasty. Even in that best case scenario of starting five and zero, you can still not wind up bowl eligible. <laughs> That's what happened to Florida last year. Florida hit their five win total, um, I think, before Georgia, uh, and then could not get one more win to get the over last year when their over under was five and a half. You could theoretically get to five and zero and be feeling really good about that future over under that you placed in, in February. Um, and there's absolutely a road to five and seven, despite a five and zero start. It is like when you see it up there, that last five games, just because it's, it's one thing to say it's a hard schedule, but to look at it, like you've got Georgia and Jacksonville, you have to go to Austin. LSU comes to Gainesville. Ole Miss comes to Gainesville. You go to Tallahassee. Like that is Brutal. That is yeah. absolutely brutal. And what what will Florida State be? They lost a ton. Uh, I mean, Ole Miss reloaded. Good luck in Austin. I'll be excited to be there. I've never been to the Forty Acres. Uh, we'll be leaning on you for some recommendations for food while oh, we're out there. So so um, many places. But but you're not going to beat Georgia. I don't see beating Texas. I think Lane Kiffin comes into the stadium. He probably wishes he was coaching at. If we're talking, you know, five years back. Uh, well, a bunch of points as long as they're healthy. Uh, <laughs> you say well as in Lane Kevin comes in for a job interview uh, there in November. Uh, but it, it's a really, really tough schedule. Um, and, and I don't know the biggest area for me when I look at Florida and really Napier, I don't know that the offensive line's ever been good. I think Osiris Torrance, who was a unanimous mm -hmm. All-American, and then the six foot five created player, you had a quarterback made the offensive line look really good. And once you took yeah. just those pieces away, the line was very average last year. And, and uh, Zach and I kind of went went back and forth on this on our Gators Online podcast. He was saying the recruiting class was really good. And I said, that's nice, but none of those freshmen are going to help you. And you really only got one starter uh, who's a kid who played in the Pac-12 last year or Mountain West. That's the hard that that's the hard part with the offensive line is is you can have a great recruiting class mm -hmm. and it doesn't. Well, and, and that's where Miami's them. interesting this year because in year two of a recruit, you know, when you had a pretty good offensive line recruiting class, then that you really start to see some stuff. Texas is a great example of that from last year. Mm -hmm. Texas was was two years out from having a great recruiting class, and that line was very good. And I would expect it to be even better this year. So that's the that's the thing, and and. If you're Billy Napier, you got to hang on to try to get to to that point, and so we'll see. But before I let you go, I do want to ask you a question or two that might make Florida fans actually smile. Hmm. They haven't gotten to do that much lately. Uh, but Todd Golden's basketball Gators looking like a team that is very much in the in the NCAA tournament after beating Auburn. 
Yeah, I mean, especially the way Auburn uh, came in and, and just blasted uh, Bama. Uh, you come in, and I think they were favorites, I think, on uh, on last Saturday, and Florida used that buy to their advantage. Um, the Gators play really, really well at home, uh, and I think you just got to figure out a way to kind of steal a couple road games. Uh, they'll mm-hmm. get LSU at home. That's a winnable game. And, and I think when you look at Florida's schedule at Georgia, uh, it's always interesting when you play Mike White at Alabama will be tough. Luckily, you get Vanderbilt at home. That's a, a tough place to shoot at. Um, but you look at the rest of the schedule and you think, hey, this team could rally or, or rip off a couple more wins. And Florida, who's been flirting with the bubble and the last four in, the last four or the first four out, uh, seem to have kind of gotten over that hump. Um, I, I, and if you're listening to this and you're a Gator fan, find some wood. Don't blame me if I jinxed it um, by saying that. <laughs> Riley Kugel, whose dad is like the yeah. most jacked man in the universe, yeah. 22 points against Auburn. But I, mm-hmm. I, I like the way that Golden put this roster together. And, and look, basketball is a different animal. It's uh, football's yeah. becoming like this, where you you've got to really kind of build your roster every single year. But basketball's been like that for a couple of years. And and Golden this particular year seems to have, have put the pieces together pretty well. Portal God Todd is what we call him at Gators Online. Uh, he, he, has, he has no problem going in there. Uh, I mean, when you look at their roster, they're full with him. Walter Clayton Jr. leading the team in, in scoring. Uh, Zion Pullen, Tyree Samuel, Will Richard. Um, a lot of really, really good uh, additions through the portal. Uh, and, and I think it'll be interesting because it's, it's a little bit of an older team. Based on that, and and when you look at teams that get to the dance and teams that do well, uh, it's typically older teams or teams with, you know, really elite point guard play. And I think Florida is that uh, that older team, and, and they've got some guys who, when when they're shooting it well, I mean, Zion Pullen's been Zion Pullen's been fantastic, and Walter Clayton Jr. Uh, not as quite as unconscious as Kenny Boyton, but not afraid to pull up. Uh, from anyone no. on the court in Kenny, three. Kenny Boyton had no regard for humanity and, and that didn't None. always work out very well for him but Walter Clayton big headband guy yeah like, like the headbands so Nick so I'm glad we, we gave him something to, to, to be cheerful about hey and Kevin O'Sullivan signed through 2033 so you got baseball too and, and, and they probably got the number one pick in the baseball draft this year yeah there you go there's so positives there that's right Nick Del Torre's not always negative. I read you on the message thank boards. You. I see I see what you're saying about Nick. <laughs> Nick, thank you so much. Thanks, Andy. That is Nick Del Torre. And very funny watching some of the reactions in the chat to the schedule. Every time we posted the Florida schedule, people were like, whoa, that is a hard schedule. Yes, it is. It is a very difficult schedule there, but there's there's a few of those running around the SEC this year. That just that closing kick of Florida is, is especially nasty. Now, you know maybe some of those teams don't live up to the hype. We'll see, but it will be it'll be a tough one. Now, one of the places that Florida has to go is Knoxville, which is not far from Greenville, Tennessee, which is where the hearing in the state of Tennessee slash Commonwealth of Virginia versus the NCAA is happening right now. It has already started. Our Austin Price of AllQuest, he's there. Here's some video. Just outside the federal courthouse in Greenville and across the street, we have this flying. 
That is a giant Tennessee power T flag hanging from a rental crane that someone parked across the street from the federal courthouse. Uh, Adam Sparks, the Knoxville News Sentinel beat writer, he took a photo of that. And Adam had a funny line in his story that came out on, on Monday night saying, you know, may, fans are talking about tailgating or maybe checkering the, the courtroom. That might actually help the NCAA's case because they're going to say, oh, it's going to be chaos if these rules are not allowed to continue. Well, <laughs> that might help encourage the judge that it would be somewhat chaotic. But we don't exactly know what's going to happen. The judge has said he thinks that the NCAA is going to lose this case. He, he said it straight out in denying the temporary restraining order, which was a small victory for the NCAA. We will see if he grants the injunction, which would put aside the NIL rules regarding recruiting until the end of the trial where the judge thinks the NCAA is going to lose. So we'll see. With the temporary restraining order, the judge said that, that they couldn't prove, the, the plaintiffs, the state of Tennessee and, and Virginia, couldn't prove what they call a irreparable harm. So basically what they're saying is if the, the recruits and transfers don't have the opportunity to talk NIL money before they sign, that even if it's not done till after the trial, it's not necessarily irreparable harm because they could always go back and sue the NCAA if the NCAA were to lose this case. But we'll, we'll see what the judge orders after this hearing. And if, if the injunction is granted, I would say you can probably say bye-bye to the NCAA NIL rules regarding recruiting and the world changes quite a bit. But we will discuss all of that on tomorrow's show when we know exactly what happened at the hearing. We'll also talk some more win totals because there are some very, very interesting ones. It allows us to take a nice deep dive into some 2024 schedules. It's a long time till football, but we are going to get you through this. We'll talk to you tomorrow.